With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's good! It's good! It's good! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem dropped the ball. Turn, picks a flow, and touchdown. The hell is frozen over. Of the 2022 season. And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Welcome Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Steve Geller, along with Jeff Nowak here, bringing you the latest on the Saints. Going to delve into some news and notes as we get ready for Week 6 matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. Talk about some of the injuries. We'll also get into some of the Taysom Hill QB power runs. Uh, also looking at another running back, if you will, in Mark Ingram. And if he's struggling right now, no, actually, his- I, I changed my mind. We're not talking about that. All right. And let's get this right. Okay. So we're going to go through a lot of the Taysom Hill runs and how okay. they worked and why they were so dominant. Despite everyone knowing what's going to happen, they still work. We're going to get into why. And then I, yeah, I was going to initially break down Mark Ingram, but I don't think he had enough action in this game to really do that. So, you know, I, I'm going to wait on that for a week and see maybe in a game where Taysom Hill isn't running wild, <laughs> how how Mark might be operating. But we're going to skip that this week, and we're going to talk about a lot of the chunk plays, the touchdowns specifically, that the Saints surrendered in Week 5 and why. You know, what went wrong on those plays, uh, and how can you kind of prevent it going forward? So we're going to talk about that. And But first, we're going to get into a lot of these injuries that are kind of cropping up. There are a lot of names on the Saints injury report. I'm not mega concerned about a lot of them, but Deontay Hardy's injury seems like it's significant. You know, this has been a, a turf toe has been a common thing for this team, you know, and you, you want to talk about the Superdome turf. Sean Payton hated it because it would, guys would get injured on it. And, you know, 
you keep getting these toe injuries on that on that field. Although Mike Thomas is name in Carolina, but right, exactly. you know Trevor Pennings was here. Actually, Landon Youngs last year was in Philadelphia, but obviously Deontay Hardy now. And anytime you hear a toe injury, it's weird because you think, oh, it's just a toe injury. They should be able to play through that, right? They're tough, but you wouldn't even know about it unless it was a significant injury. Like you wouldn't have any idea. Like a lot of these guys are probably dealing with toe injuries. They don't end up on the injury report. Because, you know, they can play through it. In these cases, it's significant. And I would be surprised if we see Deontay Hardy avoid the injured reserve list. Is kind of where I'm going with that. So you're going to have to figure something out at the return position, I think. Yeah, and we saw Taysom Hill take over some snaps there last game. Uh, Another option, I guess, would be uh, Marquez Callaway. And uh, a guy that is on the practice squad who maybe we will see called up this week. And uh, Rashid Shahid, uh, great name, uh, just sounds fast. And I know everyone, especially a lot of the media, I would say, is actually anxious to see some more from him. Yeah, this kid out of Weber State. They committed a lot of money to him on his UDFA deal. And I think that the Saints were really kind of hiding him throughout the offseason. They, they had him active on game days for preseason games. He didn't touch the ball. I think the final preseason game, Deontay Hardy actually went in there and fielded a punt, and it was like, why wouldn't that be Rashid Shahid? And I think it was because you knew you were going to cut him and you wanted to stash him on the practice squad, and you didn't want anyone to be looking at him in waivers. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they operate with him coming off the practice squad this week, which I assume he will. And you have a couple options, right? You can sign him to the 53, or you can make him the standard practice squad elevation. Now, as we saw... I was going to say, we don't, want Murray, another, well, we don't want to get poached again. Yeah, but it's it's. I think it's a different situation, right? Because if you do sign him to the 53 and then later in the season you want to put him back on the practice squad, then he will be subjected to waivers. So I think you want to be careful about that. If you are going to sign him to the 53, you better be committed to keeping him on there the whole season unless you want to potentially lose him uh, in waivers. And the reason I say it's different is because when you're poaching a guy, you don't just say like, got him and take him and he's on your team now. Like he has to agree to go there, right? Right. He has to sign the deal. And that was what happened with Latavius Murray is he had the option of Denver or New Orleans and he saw the opportunity in Denver as too good to pass up. So he went. In this case, I don't think Rashid would pass that up. And when I say that, I mean, if a team came in and tried to poach him, which they might, the Saints would say, well, we'll give you a deal on our 53, and he would probably take that. You'd hope. But you don't know, right? He could he could say, like, no, I don't like you people. <laughs> Leave. It's too hot here. I don't want to be here. But Or it could um, be interesting if it's a team with obviously a better record, you know, somewhere yeah. with better standing, and maybe it's, you know, like you said, the, a much better weather and opportunity, obviously, situation for him. But I think that uh, Shahid is going to be an interesting option here just because of that speed element and the fact that I think he's a pretty good wide receiver as well and can be used more than just the the return game. And right now with the amount of receivers that are down for this team, that could be helpful, obviously. Yeah, I I don't think so, if I'm being honest. You don't think you're going to use him in the receiver game? Yeah, I think if he's getting called up, it is to be a kick returner specifically. That's just me kind of speculating. But my point is... That is a scenario that could happen if you bring him up and, you know, a team where he he would rather be 
comes and gets him, right? But he chose to sign here in yeah. undrafted free agency. So clearly there is there is some interest in being here. So that's I, all speculation. I think that they will bring him up on the practice squad and he will return kicks and then he will go back to the practice squad. But we'll have to wait and see. I just look at it with the questions with Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, uh, Chris Olave, now Deontay Hardy. There's just... There seems like a lot of availability also at wide receiver besides the special teams aspect. Yeah, well, and I want to get into one more practice squad thing first before we move on to those injuries. And that is, we've had two Saints players signed off the practice squad. I would have bet dollars to donuts that Tony Jones was going to be added to the practice squad, but he never got there. He ended up getting claimed by the Seahawks, the team the Saints just played, because they have a vacancy at running back with Rashad Penny going down. So good for good for Tony. And apparently he was a hot commodity because apparently there was a couple other teams that put in claim on him. So yeah, good for him. Maybe he'll have a chance to to make an impact over there in Seattle where he he did not hear and it didn't seem like he had much of a path to have one. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, you know, you mentioned Seattle obviously claiming him and then having a bunch of other teams interested. It's like what what exactly were they seeing from Tony Jones Jr. besides his inactive status on game days, despite having a guy even like Alvin Kamara not even playing for the Saints. I don't know, but Eric Wilson also got signed off the practice squad. I I think there's just some teams that have a really good reputation for preparing players. And maybe the Saints are one of them because I don't think it's coincidence these, these guys keep getting signed. But yeah, let's let's move on to some of the other injuries, right? So we have Chris Olave, who is in the concussion protocol. I know you talked to DA about this yesterday. What did he have to say? Uh, basically that exactly like you said, he's in the concussion protocol. Talk with him on Monday morning, seemed to be in really good spirits. But, you know, it's going to be a whole process now of having to get, get through these hurdles to get back on the field. And I know our uh, Cajun cannon, Bobby Bear feels that after what we saw happen with Tua Tunga-Vailoa, that there's no way that Olave gets on the field for this game against the Cincinnati Bengals this week. Yeah, it's definitely a much steeper hurdle. Right. And like you saw, you saw with the Dolphins, Teddy Bridgewater – went out on the first play of that game and he wasn't showing symptoms of a concussion, but he had to stay out right. because of the new protocol. And, you know, that's going to impact games, right? It's, you know, it's hard to complain about it. You don't want guys to get head injuries and you want the, the medical staff to take them seriously because, you know, I was watching that live when Tua went down against, was it the Bills? And when his fingers started going wild, I was like, oh man, that is, that is unsettling. And like that's a sign of a major brain injury. No, I, that's, I think it was the Bengals on Thursday night. It seemed fishy when he went down a week fishy. earlier against the Bills because that's when the initial injury happened, and he was wobbly. He was woozy. Like to pretend that he had a back injury, right? You know that's just not a good look. And the NFL has a black eye, so they are going to overcorrect. And yes, I think that. Knowing what you know with how the NFL operates, it's going to be a much, much higher hurdle for him to get back in a week when you, when you kind of see what happened on that play. Because he went down, he was clearly, you know, his, the lights went out for at least Absolutely. a couple of seconds. It was definitely a scary scene just to see the non-movement. Luckily, you know, he popped back up and was able to get up off, on his own power, uh, Chris Olave, but... Yeah, I agree totally. You could totally, definitely tell that he was knocked out for a little bit of time. And I, going back with the Dolphins, I think Miami ended up firing their team doctor, right? 
Well, I think it was the independent um, analyst who got fired. Okay. The other guys we should talk about, obviously, Mike Thomas. It, Adam Schefter reported last week that he's hopeful to get back for this game. So that would be a big addition. Jameis Winston, DA keeps saying he's getting better. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. I don't know how close he is, but you know, one way or another, getting Mike Thomas back in the game will be an advantage for whether you start Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. And then obviously Marshawn Lattimore, who, you know, I've, I've got to rewatch that injury. Okay. And we'll see the replay of it when we go through the film because it was one of the touchdowns yeah. that we're going to talk about. And what it looked like to me is, you know, he's trying to get over the top and he gets kind of knocked to the ground where he stumbles. And when Tyler Lockett catches the ball and goes it and goes into the end zone, it looked like his knee like caught Marshawn like right in like the oblique area, you know, like yeah. which makes sense because he had an abdominal injury. And so hopefully it's just like a bad bruise. Hopefully, you know, it just it's just an impact thing. And, you know, he got kind of shaken up a little bit because that was a hard hit. But it's a better scenario than say like he's sprinting downfield and goes down without contact. Because when that happens, you assume, oh, we, you know, we probably tore something. You know, in this case, because there's contact, you actually feel a little better about it just because, you know, there's at least a cause of the injury. Like, it's like when you saw, see somebody running down the field and they go down in a heap holding their knee, you're like, oh, season's over. You know, there's no question. But when they like, when they get knocked to the ground and they like, they bang knees with somebody, you're like, well, that probably hurt a lot but they'll hopefully be back. So well, that's kind of where I'm going with this with Marshawn. Yeah, and I guess, you know, take it for what it is, but obviously Dennis Allen said that Marshawn was, quote-unquote, going to be okay. And it's like, yeah, well, I would hope he's going to be okay, but I, I'm thinking he was meaning that, at least I'm speculating here, he was meaning that it was uh, at least him avoiding any kind of stint on the injured reserve list. Yeah, well, I think when you say he's going to be okay, it means, like, he's not done for the year. Right. Because that's the kind of the first thing you have to answer when you have an injury is like, okay, is this season ending or is this something he's going to come back from? And then from there, you say, okay, how long will it take before he comes back? So, you know, that's the question, right? Will he play this week is the next question. And we'll find out more on Wednesday, um, obviously, when the injury report comes out. But yeah, so those are the, those are the big names. And uh, another one, see- Landry, because we expected him kind of yep. back in the flow. And he seemed really close. And then they held him out again this week. So maybe week six, that ankle injury will allow him to get back on the field. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, I forgot about him again. desperately needs it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I thought they played pretty well yesterday for a team that was, I'm sorry, Sunday for a team that was that significantly undermanned. Um, you know, Traquan obviously dropped a couple passes. Keith Kirkwood got in the action. Marquez and Andy Dalton have a clear connection, you know, um, Alvin Kamara got work in the receiving game. So that's what you want to see. Taysom Hill hasn't caught a pass. (laughs) Actually, I think he has one catch this season. You know, Adam Troutman got in the action. So like touchdown for Troutman. Yeah. I I mean, I think that for what you had out there, the passing game was, was reasonable. Um, But yeah. And so let's, we can, (laughs) let's end this segment by kind of looking ahead to, uh, is Sean Payton going to be the next head coach in Carolina? Dum, dum, dum. I don't I know. think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so either, but it definitely, he's a name that pops up immediately because 
I, and I, you know what? I don't even know if Saints fans would mind that at this point because they are just looking for any kind of draft pick compensation in return for Sean Payton. Uh, but another, you know, a little bit off the beaten track, that game last night watching the Raiders, I'm like, I'm, I'm even wondering how long McDaniels is going to last over there with some of the play calling and his end of game decisions because for me yeah. going for that two-point conversion instead of the the sure field goal for the tie, come on. I mean, I, I, yeah, I see I'm, I'm okay with that. But they, they end up losing now by one point. They would have lost either way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they were at home, I would agree with you. On the road, I think you go for it there. And the and that's so one of the things I tweeted this, like I actually kind of find it annoying that a majority of NFL coaches has just accepted analytics making their decisions for them. Cause right. I kind of miss like the era of like coaches like trusting their gut and like yeah. basing their decisions on like what color Gatorade they had that day. Yeah. And like we don't get that anymore. And so press conferences are a lot more boring because you'll ask like Brian Kelly the other day went for it on fourth down and everyone was freaking out. And it was like, he's going to go up in that press conference and he's going to say, well, the analytics said go. So we went and it's like, okay, if that's how you're basing your decisions, it's hard to fault them because at least you have a method. If, if you're just going against the analytics suddenly, like you either have to go all in or all out with the analytics. You can't just trust them sometimes. Otherwise, they don't make sense because the analysis is based on, okay, what's the higher percentage play, right? So if you only do it 10% of the time, then there's a chance you get the the negative result of the percentages, which the whole point is eventually they will fall in your favor. <laughs> so either you have to trust them completely or ignore them completely. Um, and so that's why I'm not, uh, as long as Josh keeps that energy all season, I don't have an issue with it. To me, it was a big mistake, but I, I guess everyone's each I mean, their you, own. You get, if you're tied 30-30 against Pat Mahomes in Kansas City, you think you have a better chance to win? At least you, it does. The game doesn't end for no, you. But even see, even but their I last their last possession because, even was pathetic. See, I disagree with that because it's tied, right? And so that just means that they're not going to go in a shell. The inevitable. Well, I mean, Oakland. I'm sorry, Las Vegas got the ball back. Right. They should have gotten into field goal range if if Devonte Adams keeps his feet down. He had so much space. There is no excuse for him not catching that ball with his feet down. He was trying to get too cute. And make sure he got out of bounds. It's like, no, you, you, it's third down. You got to get your feet down. Fall. I don't care. Right. Like, like you got to drag your feet. You can't just tap them because that's why he didn't catch it. Like he caught the ball, but by the time he got the ball in his hands, he had he lifted his foot. And it's like he made some great plays in that game. That touchdown uh, to tie it up was one of the greatest throws and catches I've seen this year. But you know, he's a star player. That's not a star play that he made in that moment. And so, like. And then afterwards, shoving the cameraman, definitely not a good look. Yeah, that wasn't a good look at all. The guy sued him, I guess. I see that, right. <laughs> it didn't take long. Uh, which, I, you know, if I'm being honest, I probably would have done the same thing because you know Devontae is just going to be like, fine, what? how much? Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, but back to Sean Payton with Carolina, though, the one only reason I would well, we not... Should, dis- we should point out, okay, the reason we're talking about Carolina is <laughs> the Panthers fired Matt Rule yesterday. Right. And I'm pretty sure that beating the Saints bought him three extra weeks. Like, Absolutely. He probably would have been fired after week two if they had lost to the Saints. What's sad is it's like, what's Matt Rule's record against the Saints? Is it two and three or three and two? I, I, one of those. They won in week two of last year, and they right. won in week three of this year, and they lost in week 16 of last year. So, you know, I think, and I think they got swept the year before that. So it would be All two, right, and so two and three. 
Yeah. Still, I'm sure that's better than any other team in the NFL, sadly. Yeah, but they've also lost 11 of their last 12 <laughs> games. <laughs> so great. You beat the Saints. Right. You right. lost to everybody else. Sorry, but Matt. Not going to get the job done. The one reason I would not discount Sean Payton to Carolina, though, is because the owner, Dave Tepper, is known to spend the big bucks. And if Sean wants that $20 million contract, I could see Carolina doling out that money for him. Now about the draft picks and compensation, I don't I don't know. And I don't know if the Saints would really go for that either. Yeah, and I also think like Sean has a say in this. Yeah, right? oh, absolutely. Like the Saints can say, we want to trade you there. And the Panthers can say, we want to trade for you. Sure. But all Sean has to say is, nah, I'll, I guess I'll just stay in broadcasting because he has every right to do that, right? And it's not a matter of, oh, well, eventually he'll have to do something. Eventually, the Panthers will hire a coach. And so then he can be like, well, I'm coming back now. Who do you want to trade me to, right? So like he has the ability to not decide where he goes, but to guide that decision-making process, right? right? And it's just a question of, I don't think the Panthers have enough. If I'm Sean Payton, I'm looking at them like, I don't want to go to a bad situation. Like if I'm coming back, I'm coming back to like the Chargers, maybe the Cowboys, you know, teams with weapons. And I don't consider the Panthers to be that. Um, I I can't envision either giving all that compensation to a team that he knows he's got to see twice a season too. Yeah. Helping load up the Saints. Well, right. And you won't have a quarterback and you won't have any draft picks to go get one. Exactly. He did joke to to, um, Colin Cowherd that if the $10 million a season is too much for Taysom Hill, uh, segue alert, that uh, he'll be glad to take him off uh, Mickey Loomis's hands. He said he texted Mickey that. Uh, after the game on Sunday. And so uh, maybe that's just, maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe Sean Payton gets traded to the Panthers and starts Taysom Hill as his quarterback. And Baker Mayfield gets sent to New Orleans. <laughs> Baker Mayfield gets sent back to the Heisman house where he belongs. <laughs> oh, where, where for some reason, Jameis Winston and Mark Ingram just haven't been invited. <laughs> Winston isn't in that commercial? Uh, he's not in the new ones. I don't okay. know if he's ever been in one. I haven't really paid that close attention, but I know he and Mark Ingram are not in any of like the like Devontae Smith and Bryce Young, you know, yeah, those guys. I, I wasn't sure, but I thought Winston was in, but definitely, yeah, Mark Ingram not not invited into the Heisman house for yeah, I don't know reason. what they did. I don't know what they did to get kicked out. All they want to do is hang out with Tim Tebow and, and Barry Sanders. Is he one of them? Yes. But yeah, for whatever reason, uh then you know, none of the Alabama guys seem to seem to get invited either either, like other than Bryce Young. Which there was a funny one where it was like, Bryce was like, I got a game today. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh yeah, you're still in college. At the- <laughs> um, but yeah, we're kind of off the rails here. But yeah, so John Payton in Carolina with Taysom Mills as quarterback. And we're going to get into some of the film that probably had Sean Payton sitting down on his couch drinking a beer saying, that guy. Uh, stick around you. for that. This is Inside Black and Gold brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Next up, Film Dive O'Clock. Stick around. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, back here on the Inside Black and Gold podcast, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And as promised, we're going to get into a bunch of the week five film Saints and Seahawks. And it's impossible to do a film study of this game without talking extensively about Taysom Hill. And so that's what this segment is going to be about. Taysom Hill dominated that game. He ran for over 100 yards on his nine carries. He had three rushing touchdowns. He also had one passing touchdown which I know Steve you were very excited about because you've been bugging me about why the Saints never throw with Taysom Hill all season got to keep him honest you know and then finally and I'm also was happy to see Adam Troutman getting some love in the end zone uh he's been one of those guys that I thought had a pretty good training camp expected more out of him this season and just starting to maybe get more involved in this offense with Andy the red rifle Dalton at quarterback right now yeah, and I, you know, some of the the formations in this game were fantastic. Like, I mean, you have eleven players on the field, and you can fit them all in one little tidy box. <laughs> that is nine blockers standing in front of you, and a tight end standing next to a tight end. If I don't even know what personnel you would call this, there is no tech. Like, technically, Taysom was a tight end, so there is no quarterback or running back on the field. So I think this personnel would technically be six. If it's eleven, you would have one tight end, one running back. That's what the numbers mean, right? So like 22 would be two tight ends, two running backs. But what you have on the field right now is five linemen, two jumbo linemen, which is technically qualifies as a tight end because they are pass eligible, and then four tight ends. Yeah, it's a great question probably for P. Carmichael Jr. this week. <laughs> it's six. Oh, six. But yeah, it's just, it's just this jumbo look. And it's like, oh, third and one. Uh, we're going to run it. But you don't know where. And I think that's where the, you know, you can say, oh, you know exactly what we're go- they're going to do, but you don't know how they're going to do it, right? Like there's, when you have this many linemen and you have this many gaps that you can attack, you have this many areas you can double team, it's actually a lot harder. Like obviously you're preparing for a run, but you don't know what kind of run. You don't know if Taysom Hill is going to wait if he's going to do a quick dive, if he's going to just, if they're going to send JP Holtz just straight into the line and have Taysom Hill follow him, if they're going to kind of, you know, flank out wide and have Taysom try to beat him to the edge. So like, that's where, you know, this is kind of like an old school offense and that's what you used to do in in football. And uh, so this is what you have now. And so this is that first third and one that Taysom got in on and it came right after an Andy Dalton scramble, oddly enough. And you can see like, the Seahawks actually play this pretty well. You have a guy come scraping up the outside. JP Holtz lays a good block. I think that's Cesar Ruiz coming around and they clear that edge. But I mean, like, this is probably the closest they came to stopping a Taysom Hill run all night. And, you know, he still gets there pretty easily. And that's that's the amazing thing about this offensive set that you're running is third down and short is supposed to be tough, right? It's like, it, it's not as easy as they're making it look, but they have effectively yeah. hacked the NFL by by just going old school. Like that's the best part about it is like this is just old school offense. This is just hat on a hat. Like go beat somebody up. And that's why I love JP Holtz. I'm glad I was glad when they signed him to the active roster because I was, you know, he's a guy who I sang his praises after week four because I think he just blocks like an animal. I mean, he's just vicious. You can hear when he's hitting people. Let's go. This is another one. 
this is the one that I'm not a huge fan of. And this is that same drive, that opening drive. And we talked about this after the game. I don't like the idea of not having your quarterback on the field for like five. Well, actually, I take that back. Andy Dalton was on the field, not having him like touch the football for five plays. You had an Alvin Kamara run, then an Andy Dalton scramble, which obviously it's supposed to be a pass play, but it was supposed to be a pass to Taysom Hill, who was covered. And then you had Taysom on third and one. And then you had a handoff to Alvin Kamara on first down. Now you have another QB power, and then you send Andy Dalton in there on third and five saying, good luck. And I just think that's setting up your quarterback to fail. But this is one of the few that the Seahawks actually stopped for a reasonable, you know, uh, only a two-yard gain. Okay, so this is the first touchdown. And you can see, like, early in the game, like, you could say the Seahawks know what they're looking at. They're not defending this like they know it's going to be a run. You know, you don't have guys creeping up in those gaps. You have two linebackers. But, you know, they're not up at the line of scrimmage. And so you have a quarterback that can make it hurt. And that's what happened. But again, it's just a situation where you don't know which gap he's going to attack. You have J.P. Holtz again as the lead blocker. He comes out, he kicks out wide. Andrews Pete pulls around, picks up one of those one of those rushers. And so it's left to Taysom Hill to beat the defensive tackle one-on-one. And he does. And then he powers it into the end zone, right? That, that's not complicated football. But again, these linebackers have to make a decision. These guys have to make a decision of what gap they're going to try to fill. And they don't know which one Taysom Hill is going to try to attack. So like, you clear the outside, you clear the inside, and then you just power it in. It's wild how easy it looks when, uh, when it's working for the Saints. I don't know if you remember a, a while back, I forget what year it was, Sean Payton made the comment that the way Taysom Hill runs reminded him of Fred Flintstone. And I think about that every time now. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So one of the other things that Taysom does that I think is overlooked a little bit is he's very patient when he gets the ball. And so he, he isn't just diving into the line, right? He's choosing a gap and he's attacking it. And that little delay he gives you after catching the ball is, is part of what makes this so difficult to stop because he's watching. And he's seeing which gap you're trying to fill. And then he's going away from that. It also gives his blockers time to get out in front. In this play, you're having Anders Pete pull. And you're having J.P. Holtz come around on a little arc block. And so you have to wait for them to get there. One of the, one of the reasons that the Wildcat is, can be difficult and tricky is, you know, when you're handing it to a running back, there's built-in time for the running back to collect the ball and then follow his blockers. When the ball is direct snap to Taysom, he could just take off right away. And in some cases, he will do that if you're trying to like have a misdirection play. But in this case, you got to wait. And so that's what he does. And so you say he receives it and he kind of takes that hop step. You need to allow your blockers to do the work. You need to allow this big dude to get over there and pick up a blocker. You need to allow JP Holtz to just, you know, turn into a werewolf and maul this guy to death. (laughs) And that's what they do. And that's what makes these plays a lot easier. And so third and one. You got five yards. You know, you're not you're not worried about plowing the line because you know you can get to the edge. There's some there's really impressive stuff from JP Holtz and maybe why we're not seeing uh more of Nick Vanette lately. Yeah. I mean, if if Nick Vanette's main role is as a blocker, yeah, um, I think Holtz has been better as a blocker. Now, this is run blocking, to be very specific. Like I'm not talking about pass protection. I haven't really seen a ton of him in pass protection. He is really an H-back. He's not a tight end, as you would kind of look at it in line. He's not a guy who's going to go catch passes. He is essentially a fullback. You waved Adam Prentice, and you brought J.P. Holtz up. He's technically a tight end, but he's blocking. 
that's his role. And I think he's done an excellent job of it. This time, this is in the second quarter. And to me, this is significant because what you see here is the Saints have split four wide receivers out. So you no longer have the luxury of just stacking everyone in the middle of the field. You have to cover because you know that if you just leave him uncovered, he can throw the ball there. And so like you can look at this and say, oh, they know he's going to run, but you still have to have four guys accounting for the players on the edges. None of them are Randy Dalton, so you can't just ignore them. And look at how easy this run ends up being. You know, I think this is second and eight. And you see this, and you see they're still not sinking, right? These players are not sinking with any of these any of these routes. So it's like you know they're coming on the run. And that's gonna come back later when on that Adam Troutman play, and I'll show you. But like look at how much space he has. Like it's absurd how easily he just ran for 15 yards. Um, and it's because you can't stop it. Now, this is the Adam Troutman play. This is the Adam Troutman touchdown. And you can see you're in a similar, you're, you're doing a similar thing here. You have a tight end and Traquan, I think that is in the stack. You have Alvin Kamara split out wide. So you have to account for these guys. And you know that neither of these linebackers are going to sink. If this was Andy Dalton there, one of these linebackers would be responsible for sinking up the seam and taking away routes to the middle of the field because you have safeties to the edges. So they can't get to the middle. If no linebacker sinks up the seam and somebody goes up the middle, that's going to be wide open. And that's what you saw on that initial play, that play that we just went through, where if you had a linebacker going up the seam, he would have been wide open. And Taysom said that he and Pete Carmichael at halftime were talking about this play. And we're like, yeah, that's going to work. We're going to run this if we get in that situation again. And that's exactly what happened. You have Adam Troutman, I believe. He's right here. And he's not even going to check. He's just going to go straight up the seam and no one's going to carry with him. Um, and it's the easiest touchdown throw you'll ever see. So like this linebacker here, he's got to get depth, but he's too worried about Taysom running for good reason because this is the first pass he's thrown this season. And so like that, he has no chance. You, you put him in no man's land. And that's why you, you'll see a few people go out and be like, okay, Taysom should be the starting quarterback. And I understand why you would think that because it, it, it looks easy and it looks like you could do this every play. But one of the reasons it's so difficult is because you are not able to spend all week game planning for what you're going to see from Taysom Hill because you might not see it, right? It's not definitely going to be what you end up having to face. So right, if you like spend a, a change all of pace week, for you, right? Well, but it, you know, it's, it's a mystery, right? At this point, no one knows who the Saints quarterback is going to be. No one knows whether it's going to be Jameis or Andy Dalton. You don't know how much you're going to see Taysom Hill. And so like how much, what, how much time throughout the week you're going to spend on in practice, right? You got to make a decision. And so, you know, you think you really think the Seahawks spent any time in practice being like, oh, what if Taysom Hill throws it up the seam to Adam Troutman, the guy who's caught three passes this year? Maybe they should have, but I don't think they did. And so it's an easy touchdown. And that's why I understand like Taysom probably wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but his value as a changeup, as a, as a wrecking ball in this role is so great that it wins you games and it won this game. Yeah, and you've heard him say, obviously, he wants to be a quarterback in the league. And head coach Dennis Allen has said about Hill, he's just the ultimate team player willing to do anything to help this squad win. And that was sure apparent this week against the Seattle Seahawks because he just he pretty much did everything for this team. Yeah, and this so this is the last Taysom Hill run that I have on this kind of slideshow. Again, you have J.P. Holtz up here. Again, you have it's that mega crazy jumbo formation. You have five linemen, two jumbo linemen, which is Landon Young and Lewis Kidd. They ran this three times. Landon Young and Lewis Kidd, both as eligible linemen. 
So they could theoretically leak out and catch a pass. That's kind of the next step of running this, you know, personnel out there is eventually you will see one of them leak out and catch a wide open touchdown pass. I want to see it happen on the two point conversion or something like that. Like I think Will Clap, it might have been Will Clap who caught one. I can't remember. It might have been against the Broncos, but this is the type of personnel that where you will inevitably see a lineman catch a touchdown pass because you just don't account for them. And so again, this is 10 blockers, no wide receivers, no running backs. And the best part about it is when you look at the film, you don't even need the sideline angle. You can see all the players on the field from the end zone angle. There is no one outside the numbers or even close to the numbers. And by this point in the game, this is third and one in the fourth quarter. The Seahawks have just taken the lead and gone ahead 32-31. They know Taysom Hill is going to run this ball. They've seen it over and over and over again. They haven't stopped it. So what do they do? They, they, they just don't even bother putting anyone more than four yards away from the line of scrimmage. You know, Quandry Diggs is the only one who could like feasibly get out to defend, a, to defend one of these like tight ends if they decide to get downfield. And they, the Saints don't even bother making them have to defend that. They're just like, yeah, we're going to do this again. And one of the reasons Taysom Hill is able to break this for 60 yards for a touchdown is because of that. Because no one is past the line of scrimmage. So the second he gets past Quandry Diggs, he's gone. And, you know, good for Tariq Woolen, very fast guy. One of the low-key big elements of this play is Taysom's aware of Tariq Woolen as he gets down the field. And he protects that ball because you've seen that. Like, it happened to Saquon Barkley against the Titans earlier this season where he just got through the line and he was running by himself downfield. And it was actually Christian Fulton, the former LSU cornerback, who just like caught up to him and just kind of swung and punched the ball out. Like Tariq Woolen is not even trying to make a tackle here. If he was trying to make a tackle, Taysom might not score. Right. Cause like you can see, like he catches up to him at the 10 yard line, but totally swatting for that ball. But yeah, the only thing he's interested in doing is knocking that ball out. And so that's why instead of a 55 yard run and a first and goal, you end up with a touchdown. And I just think like the awareness on that play to know that uh, that Tariq Woolen's closing on you and to kind of just shift the ball to the side, that's really impressive. How many how many tight ends make this play? But anyway, that's that's it. You know, it, it's it's a lot of frustration from the other team. Like they know again, like if anything, the fact that they know what's coming makes it worse because once you just are unable to stop it and you show that you are unable to stop it, you're just going to get hammered over the head with it over and over again. And that's, and that's what happened to the, to the Seahawks in this game. Well, that's the thing too. We, we knew going in Seattle was a pretty weak defense. It'll be interesting to see how much they're able to implement against Cincinnati. Not like they're a, a world beater or anything, but definitely a more improved uh, defensive look than you got last week. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know what to expect from Cincinnati. You know, they they're what two and three. I think they lost right. to the Ravens on Sunday night. They don't look great. I think they have the fewest big plays in the NFL so far through five weeks, which is not something you'd expect to say. No, um, definitely about not. Joe Burrow, three receiver. Team. Yeah, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, right? But as we're going to talk about in the next segment, the Saints are a team right now that will help you get on the uh, right track as it as it pertains to big plays. But you know, I, I just think. For a team that desperately, desperately needed 
a a get right win and a performance from a player from a star player like i don't care who it was they needed someone to show up and have a big game because we had not yeah. seen that right one of the things that really stood out is since week one so obviously you had mike thomas catch those two touchdowns you really haven't seen you know alave in week week three was a good example he had 149 yards but a lot of that came in junk time it wasn't like a dominating performance from the beginning and like, it's just nice to see the star players show up and play like stars. We, you know, we obviously didn't show any of it, but Alvin Kamara ran for over a hundred yards in this game. He had 194 yards total. You had 300 rushing yards, you know, and you won a game and, and that's a good feeling. I think. Yeah. And I think I mentioned this post game on our post game podcast. You look at the stats and you see 48 rushing attempts from the saints. And it's like, what the new Orleans saints had 48 rushing attempts. That's, that is unbelievable to me. Yeah, we have a we have a comment here from Handsome Joe. It's like, where has he made more of an impact this season as a tight end or a quarterback? Yeah, I mean the answer is as a quarterback, right? <laughs> the only the only benefit of him being a tight end is you can start him in fantasy at tight end because all the fantasy leagues jumped at that, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season he's back to quarterback eligibility because he's, if anything, he's a running back, right? right. Like he's not a tight end; he's a wildcat quarterback like the Giants have been doing this with Saquon Barkley and it's been working like the ability to just direct snap it to you know I don't know if he is the best athlete on the field but he's close to it you know the ability to just get the ball in their hands and say go do it you know that's that's a luxury and you need someone who can make guys miss in the open field you need someone who can power through uh defenders I I'm I'm surprised they didn't do it more with Alvin Kamara when Taysom Hill was kind of in the quarterback mold but you know that's it's something that I don't think Smash Mouth football has been a an identifier an identifying quality of this Saints team in the last you know five ten years. Hmm. But it would be really nice if this season that's what you ended up talking about is you know this is a, this is a team that wants to punch you in the mouth and you better punch back. Yeah, if, if Ingram and Kamara are boom and zoom, what can we put as the trio of you know Mark? Alvin and, and Taysom. Okay, we have Boom Zoom and what? The Mormon Missile. <laughs> I think that's John O'Barnes. I think maybe uh, he, he might have invented it. I don't know. Someone invented it. But no, I, yeah, no, right. QB7. That's what I usually go with. But all right, that's going to wrap up that segment. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some less happy stuff, which is a lot of these big plays. I think Kenneth Walker is still running. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Heading into our last segment of Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason, and time for a little bit of the negative from last game. As Jeff mentioned before we head into this segment, those big chunk plays that this Saints team gave up, and it was a you know a bit disturbing to see, obviously because there were just the Seattle offense just moved it so quickly down the field. And it was three plays, four plays, five plays, and boom, you're in the end zone. And I know that co-defensive coordinator Chris Richard appeared on the coach's show, talked about it a little. And it's obviously another problem that this team's got to work on fixing heading into this week's game against Cincinnati because the Bengals offense has plenty of guys that are able to rip off those big chunks of yardage. 
Chunk plays were they were disappointing, and when we have guys in position, and it's uh, things that we're well aware of that they're going to try and attack us with, and and ultimately, you know, we don't we don't handle the job properly in in executing. You know that that that, that part is disappointing, but I, I'll say the cool part is is that you don't see lingering type of mistakes and things of that nature. So something new this week that didn't show up last week. And there's a point in time to where we're going to, we're going to have seen it all. We, we know this is a copycat league and um, all of our issues, like they'll, they'll, they'll be fixed at some point in time. Um, communication is going to be huge for us as we move forward. And quite honestly, the, the, the other part I, I think that is going to ultimately be a strength for us is the fact that we're playing a lot of guys. And, you know, the, the old cliche of, you know, like everybody's a starter because you never know when your time and when your chance is going to come. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're living proof of that right now. And a lot of guys are, are, are gaining a lot of experience and, the way that we do it and how we do it and the time on task is going to prove beneficial for us. Yeah. And I mean, I think he makes some good points there. And, you know, one of the other things that DA said after the game was like, you know, I think the defense played pretty well outside of maybe four plays. (laughs) Unfortunately, those four plays accounted for 28 points and he's not wrong, you know, because you can, you can point to four long touchdowns, 40 plus yard touchdowns that kept the Seahawks, alive in this game and so the first one here it came on the first drive you know it started from the first drive of the game and you just kept going so this one is interesting and this is a good example of if you're watching the broadcast you need to understand that you're not going to see everything right you're gonna you're gonna miss what's happening with the safeties and if you don't know what the safeties are doing then you don't really know what's happening on any particular play and this is a good example. When I watched this, even when I watched this at the Dome, I wasn't looking at the right part of the field to catch it in real time. And then I looked up at the replay on the TV, and I would have assumed what happened is Paulson Debo gets caught up in, in traffic. It's not what happened. That's what the Seahawks are trying to do. You know, you have two routes. They're coming like over here, and another one coming over here. And DK Metcalf, he's going to motion in here into the stack behind Tyler Lockett. And then he's going to slide under and then just kind of plant himself in the middle of the field. Now, Paulson Adebo is in man, so he's chasing DK over the top. And he actually does a good job of kind of tracking him and getting in position over here. DK's open, but Paulson is going to make that tackle. Now, what happens is Gino has to extend the play, and I don't know if it's a built-in adjustment for DK or if he's just kind of ad-libbing. But he kind of makes a late double move, and that's where he gets open because Paulson is coming down thinking that, like, this is a third down play. Gino is just going to hit him and get that first down. He's trying to prevent that, right? This is another example of, you know, you're trying to prevent three points and you allow seven because if you're just patient and you let him throw that ball and you make the tackle, it's not a touchdown. Paulson does a good job of actually just maintaining his, his positioning. And you have a linebacker. So like this is taken away effectively. And I think that there's a built-in adjustment here where you don't have anyone occupying this part of the field. So DK Metcalf knows if he's taken away on that initial route and Gino is extending the play, he can just spin out and get downfield. And so that's where he gets open. Like Paulson didn't get picked off 
He didn't get outrun. He's trying to come up and make a play. And the second he takes that step toward DK, he just breaks out. And then it's like, okay, okay, yeah, this guy is like an Olympic sprinter. You're not catching up to him. And uh, I think one of the things you'll see in this common denominator on these plays is I'm not sure Paulson, as an outside corner, has this the makeup speed you want in some of these matchups, in the matchups with the Tyler Lockett's of the world, guys who are going to get over the top. And I wonder going forward if it might make more sense to have him work into the slot and have a Bradley Roby or a Alante Taylor when he comes back on the outside, guys who I think have a little more foot speed. But yeah, so that's that first touchdown. Nothing super complicated there, but I also think that there is a coverage bust here somewhere because one of these guys needs to sink. And I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Roby because you're not going to have the slot sink. But I think one of these players, and I think it's supposed to be Roby, needs to sink with D. Eskridge, and he doesn't. And so when he doesn't sink and D. Eskridge is floating downfield by himself, Tyron Matthew, your lone safety down the field, has to kind of float over the top. And that's why there's no deep coverage to give Paulson Adebo any help. So watch what happens down here where, you know, I think it's possible that Bradley thought that Paulson was was sinking and passing off that route, but he's not. He's in man, so he's, he's coming across. And so you can see right here, one of these guys needs to go with the receiver going downfield because Paulson's working over the top. None, neither of them do. So D. Eskridge is wide open. <laughs> if, if Tyron doesn't come over here and take that away, that's a touchdown to the other side of the field. So that's why DK has the entire field to work with. And that's either a coverage bust or a mistake of some kind by the Saints that kind of creates that play. But, you know, it's everything went wrong here, right? And that's what you, you, you're going to see on a few of these. Yeah, and I know we talked about it a little bit too previously, but, man, really impressed with the way Geno Smith ran things and his, his, even his vision down the field and touch on the ball too. I mean, the arm talent is is undeniable. Like, even this throw, right? Like, this throw isn't that difficult to make. But look at his, the platform he's throwing from. Like, he's sliding to his left away from his arm, which is very yeah. difficult. Your momentum is carrying you the wrong way. So he can't really get a lot on this throw. And so you, you'll, see, you'll see quarterbacks, you know, maybe not miss this throw because it's a hard throw to miss, but not throw it perfectly where your receiver can make a play and and catch and run. And he just throws a perfect ball to DK, and that's what makes it a touchdown instead of a 40-yard gain, right? So that's an impressive work by him. And that's going to be the case again on these next two touchdowns. So here you have uh, Paulson Adebo over here and Tyler Lockett. Now, this is a weird situation because you end up with JT Gray as your deep safety. And that's just not a scenario you ever expected to have to say. And he's not able to kind of read this correctly. Now, remember, this came right after the turnover from Alvin Kamara to set up like a Seahawks drive to end the game. And so you can see they're right on the edge of field goal range. And I think if you're the Saints, you are expecting them to want to get three, four, five more yards to make that field goal easier. It's also, they don't have a timeout left. So if you get tackled inbounds down the field, the half is over. So this is either going to be a touchdown or nothing when you go downfield. And so the Saints, again, surrender seven points trying to prevent three. Because if you were just going to concede this field goal, which I think you should at this point, because it's a 54-yard field goal from there, even if they don't get another yard, they're going to try it and they're probably going to make it. 
right? They made a 56-yarder earlier in this game. So being able to stop them dead is only going to make it a more difficult field goal. I would much rather see you play off coverage, make like a picket fence, and just say, you can do whatever you want, but you're not going over the top. And instead, you know, you're in press coverage. Paulson Adebo at the top. He gets beat clean off the line. There's no jam. And so Lockett gets downfield. And this is where you you surrender the touchdown. So as I said, Paulson just doesn't have that makeup speed that you might want in, a, in an outside corner, especially when he's going to be playing press. Because when he gets beat, he's got a chase. And where you lose this is Tyler kind of fakes to the flag route. But instead, he's coming back this way. And watch how hard JT Gray bites on that flag route. Like he's way out of position. And that's like, you are playing two deep safeties and he still gets on top of it. And obviously Gino just lays it in there perfectly. And it's a touchdown. And it was at this point that I thought the saints were going to blow another game. Right. It was like, you can't, you can't be, you gotta be kidding me kind of thing. That was the first time I felt that way <laughs> after the, the touchdown run was the second time I felt that way. Right. But it was hard for me to remember which one was, which when I was clipping these out because they look identical. The only difference is you can tell because this was from the 40 and the other one was from the 35. But you're ending up in almost the exact same situation. You have Paulson Adebo up here over Tyler Lockett. He's not quite impressed. But I think the bigger issue on this play is there's some miscommunication. Like they are checking this coverage and I think they're checking it to quarters. And I think Paulson gets confused. Because you can see the safeties are playing one coverage. Marshawn's playing a different coverage. Paulson's playing a different coverage. And it just does not look right from the start. And again, you you can see, like, Paulson's not even set by the time Gino calls for the ball. He's still, like, like looking around, talking to Tyron Matthew. All of a sudden, oh, crap. (laughs) I got to run now. And so, again, gets beat. He does a better job of rerouting Tyler. But I don't think he's supposed to be chasing him down the field. I think he is supposed to be getting up the field and protecting this zone, which is what you would do in quarters. And that's what everyone else is doing. But Paulson chases him inside. And I think that just catches everyone kind of off guard. And so Tyron is trying to make up for this and sink over there. And that's just where you get into trouble because Lockett's able to get over the top. And you can see like Marshawn gets hurt on this play. That's him rolling right, around, right. writhing in pain. And like this, like this is quarters. You're trying to play quarters here. Everyone is playing quarters except for Paulson. So I think that there was a check that was missed and that's where you end up with this play. It's still an incredible throw. Marshawn actually sees the ball in the air and he's trying to play center field. He's trying to be like an extra safety and he almost gets there. He kind of stumbles. And that's where you, where I said that uh, Tyler Lockett kind of caught him in the hip. Yeah. You can kind of see that there. You know, Smith, you're obviously about the 50 yard line. He doesn't even step into this throw. Just flat-footed. This is like an Aaron Rodgers-type throw. Boom. Man. That is a 50-yard dime. Over four defenders. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it like you could say, yeah, you screwed up the coverage, but like, touche. You know, when he let that ball go, I was like, there's no way. And it just, do you know, if you want to say this Seahawks defense might be the worst in the NFL, you could you could make a really good case for it. You know, Geno Smith is playing very good football, and this offense is a lot better than I expected. What's impressive, I guess, is too, is like, where's this guy been since getting drafted and coming into the league? I mean, obviously, we haven't seen 
I feel like I haven't seen this Geno Smith at all in the NFL, except against the Saints this year. But yeah, all these plays that we, we've we just watched, and even during the game, I, I just came away so impressed with his poise, his arm, even his placement on stuff. Wait, you don't remember when he ended Eli Manning's career? <laughs> he was the reason. Got Ben McAdoo fired. Anyway, so those were the three long pass plays. But the most egregious big play allowed was the second time I thought the Saints were going to blow this game. Because if you remember, they went up 31-19 on, you know, we were looking at, we looked at like seven touchdowns in this film study. And there's just so many, there's so many touchdowns in this game. But they went up 31-19 late in the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, they're down 32-19 because they at least stopped the two-point conversions. And that came on this play. And this is not Rashad Penny. No, this is Kenneth Walker, who, you know, he is a rookie, but he was a, he's a highly touted rookie. But what happens on this play is everyone loses the ball. Hmm. You hear a lot about players saying, okay, we need to have eye discipline. We need to see what's in front of us and not be reacting to things that aren't happening. Now, the, the offense is trying to make sure the opposite happens. They're running play action. They're running misdirection plays. They're cutting back. And that's what you see here. And what ends up happening is all of the Saints defenders on the back end are playing this kind of front side run. Justin Evans up here still thinks Geno Smith has the ball. That's why he's not able to get down and make a play on Kenneth Walker here. Paulson Adebo thinks that Kenneth Walker is somewhere in this pile. So does Tyron Matthew. That's why he is shaded over here. So how does Kenneth Walker get wide open? Well, those are the two back end defenders and they got sucked in because they thought that the ball was still in the pile. And that's what play action, that's what misdirection runs do for you, is they force the defense to have to guess. And in this case, they guessed wrong. And you can understand why, right? Watch how this play developed. That's a play action kind of fake that Gino is kind of finishing the boot. And so that's why Justin Evans, who has seen Gino boot and get outside, he has the legs, he can make it hurt. So Justin Evans has the freeze. He's not able to get down. And you can see like, you know, Kenneth Walker is not a huge guy. He's literally impossible to see in this kind of calamity of bodies, right? You are just guessing that he's there. And when he kind of sneaks out, Paulson Adebo's kind of line of sight is blocked. So he can't really see. He just sees a blur of white shirts. And one of them happens to have the ball and he's not aware of it. So that's when he kind of gets stuck behind Chris Harris and he's not going to be able to make it back. So that's over. Tyron Matthew has already taken a false step in this direction, thinking the exact same thing. And he reacts earlier than Paulson, but he's too far away and he's unable to get there. And so you have a 69 yard touchdown. And, you know, what you saw here, what you saw on that Taysom Hill touchdown run, you know, it's like, it's amazing these don't happen more often because that's all it takes. It just takes one guy taking a false step and all of a sudden the guy's gone. I feel like I said Paulson Adebo's name a lot throughout that. And it, and, and I did, you know, he, he made some nice plays in this game, but he really struggled. And I think that it's something you need to consider going forward. Is Paulson Adebo better suited for the slot? And, and here's why I think that is the case, because one of the difficult things about playing in the slot is you have to come up and make hits. You have to track the running back out of the backfield. You have to find the tight end and lay the wood on him. Boom. Like that's an impressive tackle for a corner. And so you know, if you're able to do that, I wouldn't mind seeing him in the slot, right? You can play both. You don't have to be exclusively in the slot, but he got one snap in the slot in this game. I think that you could have a better rotation 
especially in matchups where you're going against a Tyler Lockett, a guy you know is going to try to burn you down the field, and against a quarterback who you know is going to try to go over the top, right? If this was Pat Mahomes, if this was Josh Allen, this was Aaron Rodgers, I would say the same thing. So I think that's something that I wouldn't be surprised if we see throughout the season is Adebo getting worked more into the slot. And, you know, partially because he struggles with the pace and partially because he can put Noah Fant on his back in the open field on a third and five because it's forced to punt. Yeah, and this, this secondary coming into this week, we're going to have a, a lot of questions, obviously, with Marshawn Lattimore. You know, P.J. Williams isn't available and still questions about uh, Marcus May. Uh, definitely missing him. Oh, yeah. Mar- Marcus May not being out there has been significant, right? There's no question about that. And it's like we can we can criticize JT Gray for not being able to read that post route um, as well as he should have. He's not supposed to be your starting safety, right? right? You know, PJ Williams was supposed to be your backup, and he's not out there either. So, you know, he's put in a tough spot. He didn't hold up. It's, there's only so much you can do. Um, there's a few other things I want to talk about. One of them, and I want to get to some positive things, right? <laughs> And this is one of them. And I think it's, it's a, a really good example of the Saints seeing something in coverage and taking advantage of it later in the game. So this is a third and five that the Saints don't convert. This is that play where Andy Dalton is kind of looking to Chris Olave and he gives that hard pump fake. I think what happened, because Chris is open, because Chris is always open. I think what happened is the defensive end kind of jumps across his vision at the perfect possible moment and I think what happens and why Andy pulls it down is you kind of lose the sight line to that throw, right? And you're inside your own territory. You do not want to make a mistake in this part of the field. And so the second he like loses his sight line, he pulls it down. And like, that's the only thing that makes sense because otherwise you're making this throw on third and five. Now, I wouldn't even call this a miss because he goes to Marquez Callaway as his second read and Marquez is open. He's unable to get to the first down marker. But what you see when you look at this play, like, you know, when they go over to the sideline and they're looking at the tablets and they're like, you know, oh, look at that, look at that. Well, what you're going to see on this play is the Seahawks completely forget to cover Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. If Andy extends this play because he doesn't like throwing to Marquez short of the sticks, which, you know, you're always going to throw to Marquez there. So it's hard to say this is a mistake. But, you know, if he's able to spot Alvin, or, you know, kind of gets Marquez's throw taken away and just kind of rolls out. This might be a touchdown. If you get the ball to Alvin there, there's no one ready to make a tackle. It would have been Alvin with the 70-yard touchdown in this game and not Kenneth Walker. But, you know, again, it's like it's not a miss, but it's there. And so you see that. You make note of it. And so you come back to this later. And if you remember, later in the game, similar part of the field, Alvin Kamara screen pass. And now this is not the same play. But it's similar, right? You're running two routes over here to kind of keep guys set on that side of the field. And then you have Alvin kind of leak out down here. And it's wild how wide open he is because you were able to generate the same look that you generated on that third down play. And in this case, it was designed to go to Alvin, right? I would be stunned if you could not draw a direct line from that play in the first half to this play in the second half because you're doing the same thing except you are setting it up so that you throw to Alvin and look at how much space he has. With blockers ahead of him. It's beautiful. I mean, like, there's so much space. There's three blockers here. They're trying to find someone to block. Where do they even go? Look how far they have to go to find a defender to block. Like, and and like, because these guys are blocked. They're not even going to be able to get there. Alvin could start walking at this point and he would still pick up like 15 yards. 
like these guys are going to chase him down eventually, but like he could just literally just 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 kind of like trot and be like, okay, when the blockers get out there, I'll I'll, I'll make an effort. Um, but yeah, eventually Andrews Pete like kind of helps out on on Traquan's guy. Uh, you know, Caesar gets downfield. I feel bad because he's these guys are running. They're they're trying. The defense was so far away that they, they can't even find any of them. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was kind of a neat. A neat little thing, and one was a th- one one was a one yard gain on third down. The other one was a fifty four yard catch and run. That's great. Obviously, yeah, huge huge catch and run, like you said for Kamara. I can't believe he didn't score on that play. Yeah, it was a long way. I think there's a lot of positives to be taken out of this team, even with a two and three start. I really like JP Holtz's run blocking. I really like how the Saints were able to kind of take advantage of some of the looks they saw early and turn them into big plays in the second half. That's a sign of a de- an offense that's adjusting and planning and and, and seeing things well, and uh, you just got to work on the defensive side of the ball of cleaning up those big plays uh, and figuring out how to how to better get safeties over the top um, because I think that's what the Saints have struggled at, and you know you can say you, you lost Marcus Williams who was one of the better center fielders in football. You don't really have a true center fielder at safety anymore, and uh, I think they've that's that's hurt them especially without Marcus May. So that's something they just got to figure out. But yeah, that's the that's the end of my my film dive for this week. And a thing on offense, I mean, we're just starting to see a little bit of consistency of being able to to get down the field. But Saints got to get healthy, and no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you know, another big concern this week is losing a guy that has been outstanding for you in rookie, rookie Chris Olave to the concussion. Big question mark on if he's going to be ready. Obviously, if Mike T is able to come back from that toe injury, that's huge. It kind of seems like we'll get Jarvis Landry back this week, which will be another big improvement, too, at the wide receiving uh, numbers. But uh, definitely having now a healthy Taysom Hill, I guess you could say early on maybe that rib injury was more of an issue than it is right now. But he was a full practice at the end of last week. Hopefully that continues now into this week as well. And just seeing more of Alvin Kamara, too, who also – that's another big injury. We mentioned, you know, turf toe, but the the rib injury this year a lot of guys have been dealing with. Alvin Kamara looks to be doing fine from his rib issue. And obviously a, a huge one-two punch last game with him and Hill running that rock or even, you know, Kamara in the receiving game as well. I hope, hope to see Taysom get more involved in passing, you know, pass catching as the tight end quote unquote that he was coming into this season. I just want to see a team have an identity on offense. And if that identity is running the ball, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to, you know, again, the Seahawks defense was very, as Bobby would put it, they're very sorry. It's a sorry <laughs> defensive group. Far from um, the Legion of Boom, right? Yeah, right, right. More like the Legion of Bust noobs. But, you know, hopefully it's not just a mirage and they are able to kind of use this as a springboard because you, if you can be the hammer <laughs> as Abram Smith, the yeah. uh, formerly of the saints, I love which, it. Bring it back. You know, you, you would rather be the hammer than the nail as, as Abram Smith would tell us. And the saints definitely that in this game. Uh, but yeah, uh, anything else you want to add before we close out here? Uh, just another big key that uh, Dennis Allen brought up on Monday was the fan impact on the, mm. you know, the Seahawks uh, offense, having a number of miscues, and uh, causing them to get some penalties. And obviously said that's going to be another key this week against the Bengals. I was actually really impressed. I did not think the Superdome was going to be as packed for this game just because 
The Saints had been struggling and not looking so great, but it was even an early arriving crowd. Like, come introductions and everything, the, the stands were full. There was no, like, oh, looking up in the, you know, the rafters there and seeing a bunch of empty seats. So really huge shout-out to the Houdat Nation who showed up in full force and and definitely made an impact in this home game. And this, the team's going to need them again for another early start. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, there was at least one play. You know, they announce a lot of fan impact plays in the sure. stadium, right? And it's like, eh, you know, did the fans <laughs> really impact the play? I don't know. But there was at least one in the second half where the Seahawks, I think they were third and five, and it got loud, like loud. Yeah. And the Seahawks false started. And it was like, okay, you know, that's a fan impact play. That you can you can attribute that false start directly to the fans being insanely loud um and that's not something i i think we saw at all last year you know there was moments where it got loud but none that you would say like oh they're impacting this game and you know maybe it's just a matter of seeing a win right or yeah some some good football i mean the 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 offense definitely was exciting you saw you know cam jordan getting after the quarterback and just for me I, i can tell being on the field for the home games the, the earpiece you have in it just starts vibrating because of the the all that the the decibels just ringing through and it's it's tough and and I just think about that as me just being on the sideline what is the quarterback for the opposing team dealing with so really uh, like I said huge shout out to the fans Dennis Allen acknowledged it and definitely need that this week again against a tough Joe Burrow led offense with the Cincinnati Bengals who. Uh, have been struggling, you know, on their on their uh, own as well, and it's something that that we can see this team take a huge stride by putting another win together. I know they're taking it, you know, game by game kind of thing, but to get one and zero this week, and then just to get even on the season heading into a Thursday night matchup at Arizona would be massive. First step, get back to five hundred. Yeah. Next step, figure out how to how to how to win the NFC South. And you'll go from there. But yeah, if you're if you're in there rooting for Joe Burrow next week, that's a problem. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. We get it. He's already won a title in the in the Superdome. He doesn't need another one. Exactly. I know a lot of folks are talking about the LSU, you know, fan, you know, players on there. That's great. Yeah, appreciate the national championship they brought to LSU. But but what uh, you should do is 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 heckle Eli Apple relentless. Yes, like relentlessly. Without remorse, do not give that man a second of peace. He has earned every every yell that you have for him. So give it to him uh, and make sure he hears it. And It'll be nice. Just tell him he smells. You'll definitely upset his mom too because she gets very sensitive over she'll, stuff. She'll tweet at you. But uh, on yeah, the yeah. defense, man, uh, the two other guys, Trey Hendrickson and Von Bell, more local influence, well, not local, but Saints influence on their former former black and gold guys that have been really big impacts for the Cincinnati Bengals. I did not think Trey Hendrickson was going to be worth all that money because he seemed to never be healthy here in New Orleans. T-Rex, coming back. All right, it's going to wrap it up for us here on this Wednesday edition of Inside Black and Gold. Uh, if you're listening to this, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to watch the film that we broke down, head over to YouTube, WWL Sports. Make sure to subscribe there. We're going to probably try to keep doing this Tuesday afternoon because it's the best time that we can find to record and also get it out to y'all. I know it's not ideal because people have jobs and stuff, but so do we. And, you know, it's easier to get this done during work hours than at 7 o'clock at night. So, Amen. you know, we'll work with us here and we're going to work with you. Thanks for everyone who listened. And uh, 
Let's do it. Next time you hear us, we'll have some injury updates, hopefully some positive news, heading into week six. All right, y'all.